0: getting rid of all these negative people i didn't know it at the time but allowed for this space for really positive genuine people ride or dies that are now like people i've met in the past couple of years will do anything for me not because they're getting something from me because they see something special in me they believe in me and they want to do good in the world for those right reasons
1: I'm lifting the curtain to reveal it all to you in an effort to help put you in a position of abundance so great that you can then be as generous as possible. So let's lock arms and let's get started. Hey everybody! Welcome back to the Chris Harder Show, where we absolutely believe that both prosperity and generosity can and must coexist. I'm really excited to sit down with a newer friend, Heather Monahan. We've become friends ever since I was on her show, and she is incredible. So she is not only the two-time best-selling author, but also a TEDx speaker and host of the hit podcast Creating Confidence. She has successfully climbed both the corporate ladder for nearly 20 years and then the entrepreneurial ladder after that. So she totally understands what it's like to succeed in both businesses. She's been featured on USA Today, CNN, Forbes, Fast Company, Gary V's show. I mean, you name it. She is everywhere and rightfully so because as you listen to this podcast, she has an incredible story, how she grew up in poverty and you know, obviously pulled some superpowers out of that situation and leveraged them into becoming the incredibly successful business person that she is today. And at the end, I actually surprised her. Matter of fact, I'd say almost halfway through, I surprise her by saying that I will give away 50 copies of her audio book to you, the listener, but there's a special way that you have to qualify. So make sure you don't miss that part either. So get ready, listen up, because this episode is incredible. (music) Heather, welcome to the show. It's good to have you on because I feel like I was just on yours and I had a great time. So welcome.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Chris.
1: Totally my pleasure. So we're going to go through a million things today, but here's where I want to start. And by the way, my pet peeve is when people are like, so tell me your story. So I promise I won't do that to you, but I do want one particular part of your story. And that is this. You were raised in poverty and you've had such a successful career where finances are clearly a superpower of yours now, at least making money. How did you go from poverty to the kind of career that you've had right now? And specifically, I would love to know what it was like growing up in poverty. Can you take us back there?
0: Oh, it sucks. At the time, it sucks, you know? And it's so funny. I've done a lot of charity work over the past couple of decades here in Miami, where I live. And my big thing that I like to do is working with underprivileged youth, you know, because I know what it's like. And I guess the biggest thing that I can share with people who didn't grow up like that is you only know that little bubble you live in. You truly don't understand what's outside of it. Meaning, For the people in Miami that are not privileged, they're living in the inner city. They don't realize there's a beautiful ocean right down the street and boats everywhere and all this possibility. That was similar for me. I was in Worcester, Massachusetts, and we were, for a bit of time, I lived in a trailer behind my grandparents' house because my mother had gotten divorced. She didn't have any money. She was working three jobs to try to make ends meet. And times were really tough. It was not like an idyllic childhood, right? Like for a long time, I couldn't even remember what it was like. I blacked it out because it was that difficult. Fast forward to the beauty of it is, I guess, which I can appreciate now, but it's taken a long time to learn to appreciate. I had this inner drive and desire to never use food stamps, to never have to struggle to make ends meet. I literally outworked every single human being I ever met in my life. Like, there's no one that you can speak to in my past careers. You could say, Is Heather Monahan a hard worker? Everyone will say she's the hardest worker I ever knew. There's no one that puts more in. And again, I'm not saying that's great, but that that strategy, just that basic strategy, propelled me to massive success at at a really young age. And the fact that I started a paper route at nine or 10 and busting tables at diners and working at fast food restaurants ultimately became my sales acumen and sales expertise. Mm -hmm. So most people got into sales, you know, at 21 when they graduated college, I got into it at 10.
1: Like hustling, literally, how much can I earn in tips the whole night? That's funny, because you literally answered my next question. That was what kind of superpowers do you think you pulled out of that situation? Because I, I, you know, Bedros Killian by any chance? I don't. He's an immigrant. and, And he said, there's an immigrant edge. Where when you're not brought up with some of the things that other people are, you just know how to work harder, you, you're grittier, and you're going to win because of the immigrant edge. And I feel like that's the same thing as when you grow up in a tougher poverty type of situation. After talking to so many individuals who came from that, I feel like they've got this extra edge and this extra set of tools that somebody who grew up in a cushier situation probably doesn't
0: have. Well, it can go one of two ways, I believe. I've seen it go both ways. One is you use it as that driving force to propel you forward and it becomes a blessing in many ways. But the other way that I've seen it happen is people use it as a crutch and a victim and really don't propel themselves outside of it, but instead stay stuck in it because they're so angry that they feel a short change.
1: So how'd you lean to the bright side? How did you harness this and, and choose to use it? Any moment or any reason? Or you're just like, screw it, I want a good life.
0: I just remember thinking, I don't ever want to be in the situation that, you know, I see my mother and struggling just so, so much. I didn't have some master plan. The master plan for me was work harder, work harder. And again, I learned, you know, later in life, that is not the best Mm -hmm. strategy, right? And there were so many talents and gifts I had inside. I struggled with my confidence early on. I had a lot of self-doubt. So I would hide behind these proverbial masks and just lean into the one thing that I knew would work, which was work harder. It's so crazy when you look back on your early years to see, oh, I wish I could go back and give that young girl a hug and tell her, oh my gosh, there's an easier way to do this. And you're so talented and you have so many gifts. Start opening your mind to this possibility of who you are going to become.
1: It's amazing. Okay. So now here you are on the opposite end of the spectrum and you're a single mom and you have a son, right? Just one son?
0: I do. Yeah. 14 year
1: old. So how do you instill some of this grit and, and hard work ethic and all these really cool things in your son when he's growing up in an opposite situation?
0: Well, Chris, that's an interesting point. I did not design it this way. However, he's gotten to see life one way, right? Which is abundant and, you know, we kind of just do whatever we want, whether it be vacation or buy crazy shoes or whatever it is. And then I was fired uh, when I was 43 years old. And so he was old enough to go through that with me and see the fear and depression and this stark, contrast to where I know where I said, I don't want to spend any money on anything. And everybody just leave me alone. I've got to figure, you know, he saw, which again is not ideal, but then I look at it as maybe it is a gift for him because he's learned both sides in this strange scenario that transpired. And I did not handle getting fired the way many people do. You know, a lot of people see it as, okay, we're just going to go pivot and do this next thing for me, I had an 18 month non-compete on the industry that I was an expert in. And so I had to reinvent myself overnight as a single parent with massive bills. Cause I built this huge life around this guaranteed comp that I thought I always was going to have. And it was that moment to say, okay, I have to start over as a rookie somewhere. Holy at 43, not only is that humbling and horrifying, but where do I want to go? And so there was this window of time that was not ideal, not, you know, lavish and exciting, but really that reset. And he went through all of that with me and and has been not only my biggest cheerleader and advocate, it's been incredible, you know, to have him there with me. But there's times he's also said, mom, sometimes I wish you could go back to your old job because it just was easier back then. (laughs) And I'm like, I get it, pal, but this is the the path we're on and it's going to be for the best.
1: You know, like you said, not ideal, but think of the incredible range he has now that he's been able to experience both sides of that spectrum, right? I mean, you're building like a super kid as he turns into a young adult. So that's super cool.
0: It's so crazy because this is like proof to your point. During pandemic, he was on virtual, did not do well in virtual school as many children did. not he's a visual learner in person kind of guy. And so he had to go to academic camp that next summer, which is a nightmare for you know, a young boy who loves sports. He went, he's like, I'm gonna get this done and I'll be back you know, in one month or whatever it was he breaks his arm halfway through the program, his writing arm. And so I figured I was getting on a flight to go pick him up that it was over. And it was so crazy. I got there to the camp. It was in New Hampshire. We live in Miami and I get out of the car. He walks out of the building with no bags packed or anything. And I said, honey, what's going on? Why are you not ready? And he said, for what? I said, I thought we were leaving together. He said, oh no. I figured it out. I taught myself how to write with my right hand. I taught myself how to shower with one arm. I taught myself how to feed my, he taught himself everything. He said, I didn't come this far not to finish this thing. I'm going to stay mom. We'll go to dinner tonight and bring me back here tomorrow. And I did. And he finished and he ended up winning an award. And I was just so proud of him. It was like this moment that I just said, even though he's seen his mom go through tough times that actually has showed him. Not only can you survive tough times, but you can thrive in spite of them.
1: What a cool kid. You must be like 100 out of 10 proud of this kid.
0: Oh, my God. Of course. I'm so proud of him. <laughs>
1: oh, I love it. So I want to shift gears a little bit. You mentioned that you had gotten fired a couple of years ago. And I'll use that as a segue because you did go on to build this really badass career in corporate America. You and I have that kind of in common. And we both have that situation in common where all of a sudden the rug was pulled out from underneath us and had to figure out what we're going to do. But you spent 14 years climbing the ranks, and, and you're a chief revenue officer. You're in the music business, is that right?
0: I was in the media business, media, yeah, that's radio. Right.
1: Yep. And this interesting situation happened where you weren't expecting to get fired, were you?
0: No, I had just been named one of the most influential women in radio, which was a huge honor, a very short list. And three weeks later, I was unexpectedly fired. The CEO I had worked for for 14 years became ill, you know, totally out of everyone's control. And he chose his daughter to replace him.
1: I mean, nepotism at its finest.
0: Exactly. At a publicly traded company. What were your (laughs) first
1: thoughts? Like, what did you do? Was it panic? What was it?
0: Oh, yeah. I remember I said, I've lost everything. The anxiety was overwhelming. I went in under a weighted blanket. Like, it was... Truly as an adult, the scariest thing that I've been through, I was so conditioned mentally to working for someone else. You know, when I was younger, there wasn't entrepreneur. The thing to do was go elevate yourself, climb the corporate ladder, become a CEO, you know, and retire early. That was the path. I didn't know there was another one. So to me, the idea that I had to go start over somewhere, I didn't know where I was gonna start. And I was 43. I wasn't 30, right? Like who wanted to hire a 43 woman who'd been inspired? Those were the ideas that were going through my mind. I also started questioning, maybe I was only successful because of this industry. What if this industry is my superpower? What if I'm only good here because I have a massive network? What if I'm only good here because of the job title? I started questioning my inner abilities because I was just so down and out and in shock.
1: I remember having all of those exact same thoughts. Did it fuck with your identity at all? Were you attached to the title, the C-suite and all that? how'd you deal with that?
0: Of course I was. It's easy to say now I'm, you know, four and a half years out of it. So it's easy to say that's a blessing, but for anyone that's going through it, it does not seem like that at the time. Right. It seems like the worst thing in the world, but yeah, I had attached a lot of weight to this title and listen, I had a lot of clout, right? Like you want to go to the Grammys done. We'll be there tomorrow. And I, you know, the flights paid for, and like, I've got the best seats and for anyone who wants them. And I'll be, I'll meet you there. We had access to things that, and you and I were talking about this earlier, you know, I had so many people calling me and helping me and doing this and that. And it turns out those people were only there for the ride. They weren't, because the minute I got fired, I never heard from them again. So all these negative, well, seemingly negative things, actually what a gift, right? People that really didn't love me, pretended to love me, and now they're gone, total gift. And just like that woman firing me, she thought she fired me. I actually fired my number one villain from my life. And so getting rid of all these negative people, I didn't know it at the time, but allowed for this space, the really positive, genuine people ride or dies that are now like people I've met in the past couple of years will do anything for me. Not because they're getting something from me because they see something special in me. They believe in me and they want to do good in the world for those right reasons.
1: Yeah, I totally believe that. You can reach this place where people want to do, they want to help you out because they see you finally stepping into your power and they see you finally being who you were meant to be. And they just want to be a part of supporting that in any way that they can. There's no agenda. There's no anything attached to it. That's a great place to be.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's so true. John Gordon's the first person that comes to mind when you say that an amazing author, amazing human being, leader, speaker, everything. He's unbelievable. He's someone who showed up in my life. I didn't know the guy, right? I just got introduced to him randomly, got on a call with me and was like, listen, we need to make this book blow up. You know, what's your strategy? I'm going to give you my book launch playbook, Heather. Okay. Listen, I'm going to connect you to my speaker bureau. They're going to start repping you. Okay. Here's how I'm going to help. I mean, Tim story coming to watch a speech of mine and sitting with me for 45 minutes after Tell me, You want to go to the Oprah level? Here's what we're going to do. Heather, you got to vary your tone. Like giving me real help that was just unsolicited, encouraging, and so supportive. And things like that didn't happen when I was back in corporate America.
1: It's amazing who comes out of the woodwork to support you when you're finally stepping into your calling. Now, what were the first steps of reinventing yourself? And those were your words, but they're the perfect words. Like you said, you were kind of handcuffed. You weren't able to to just switch jobs to another company. You had the non-compete. And- you weren't a, a personal brand per se at that time. I mean, everybody is, but you weren't like leaning into it. So what were those first couple of steps after you caught your breath to turn into this incredible brand that you are today?
0: Okay, the first thing that I did was I took action. I posted on social media. I have just been fired. And if I've ever done anything to help you, I need to hear from you now. I basically asked for help. And a lot of people reached out to me saying, take that post down. No one's going to hire you if it gets out that you were fired. But luckily, I checked in with the one voice and opinion that matters my own. And I thought for so long, I was listening to what everyone at work told me to do. You know, this is the way to do it. And that didn't pan out so well because now I'm sitting here unemployed and I don't know how I'm going to make money. So I'm going to try it differently this time. Truly, this is the thought process I had. I'm going to listen to me. And so my intuition was right. Always listen to your intuition. That post went viral. It landed me on the Elvis Duran show and halfway through that interview, he looked at me and said, "Well, Heather, obviously you're writing a book." But I had never even thought about writing a I didn't even know I could write a book. Like I thought you had to study literature in college. I didn't know, right? So this man spoke a truth and a belief into me that changed the entire trajectory of my life. It's incredible.
1: And people passing through, sometimes they stay, sometimes they don't. It's amazing how just somebody seeing something in you and and casually mentioning it can completely alter your trajectory to rocket ship status. And, And that wouldn't happen possibly without those chance meetings. It's nuts.
0: It's amazing. But you know, it all starts with taking action and listening to yourself, tuning out that noise people were saying, you know, you should be ashamed you got fired. I didn't steal. I didn't kill someone, right? Like, why would I be ashamed? I did a great job. Some lady just doesn't like me. That's not on me. And I Googled, has anyone successful ever been fired? And it turns out JK Rowling, Mark Cuban, Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey. The list is like all these billionaires and incredibly successful people. So I decided I'm going to reframe getting fired as in good company.
1: That's cool. That little Google search. That's amazing what that returns for you to put a little wind under your sails. Now you said something that I really want to touch on. You said your first move was to take action and ask for help, right? I am the worst at this. Matter of fact, You were on the Gary Vee show a couple of years ago. That's how I first came across you. That's how I first started following you, by the way, is I heard you on his show and I thought, oh, she seems super cool. Going to start following. And you got on his show by just flat out asking him to be on his show. And he gets hundreds of thousands, if not millions of requests to be on his show. Talk me through that. Where do you get this inner sense of just asking for what you want? Because I wish I had that.
0: Oh my gosh, this is sales 101. You know this. It's like a closed mouth will never be fed, right? So my superpower in life is sales. That's what I've been doing since I was nine, right? So I've got a lot of experience in it. I am not afraid at all to get a no because like anything, competence builds confidence in anything, right? So if you're doing something the first time, it's scary. If you've done it 7,000 times, there's nothing to be afraid of. So for me, I remember thinking I was launching my podcast and I thought, Go big or go home. Get the biggest guest out there. Otherwise, you're not going to make a splash. Gary B. So I took a Google alert out on his name and I, a week or two weeks later, I got noticed that he was launching a wine brand. Mm-hmm. I used to work in the wine business right out of college. So I know a lot about it. I was in it for long enough and know enough about the business. So I looked down the article, I found the name of the partner. I went to LinkedIn where I'm visible. I show up so people know I'm not, you know, a psycho or anything, but right again, showing up and putting the effort in. And I DM the guy and I said, listen, I was in the wine business for years, launched a number of brands. If you'd like, I'll jump on a call with you and just give you some advice on what to do and what not to do more importantly. And he said, great, let's do it. We jumped on a call. I just gave him this advice for nothing. At the end of the call, I said, is there anything I can ever do to help you? Please t- let me know. And I said, oh yeah, go to your partner and tell him I need him to be my first guest on my show. And he's like, all right, well done. You got it. So he, Trouty is a guy's name or his nickname. Trouty lands me, Gary Vee is my first guest. I fly to New York, I walk in, I'd made friends with his team beforehand, you know, because I want to feel welcomed when I walk in anywhere. And so Tyler, his assistant, I run over to hug him. And I said, I need a favor. And he said, what is it? I said, um, I want to land a spot on Gary's show. What would be the best way you would suggest I go about that? He's like, there's one way. I said, what is it? He said, get him to say he'll do it on camera. Otherwise, I can't guarantee it. Yeah. And I said, so ask him right on the air on the show. And he goes, exactly. I said, thank you. High five. And so in the back of my mind, but I wasn't, I was like a new podcaster. This is my first, first show ever. ever. Yeah. My first show ever. So of course I'm nervous. I don't have that competence yet, you know, yielding confidence yet. So I'm like, oh shoot, in my mind, now I have to think, when am I going to go in for the ask? And like, what is that right time? And don't forget, Heather, like I'm saying in my head, don't forget, don't forget to do this. And right at the end, it's like the last minute of the show, I said, well, Gary, do you think that your audience would ever get any value from hearing about a woman who made it to the C-suite in corporate America and gets fired unexpectedly, but found a way to bounce back and land herself in your office? And he's like, heck yeah, I do. I'm like, great. So is that me? You're going to have me on your show? And he goes, absolutely. And he looks at his assistant. And he's like, let's do it. Oh my god. And so it took like six months of back and forth to actually mm-hmm. get back on. But yeah, he's a man of his word and he did do it.
1: So there's about a hundred thousand bits of genius in that entire story, which is why we brought it up. But the thing that stands out to me is, first of all, this is your first interview ever. And you swing for the fences and it's Gary Vee. You said you were nervous, but you've got to talk us through like that level of nervousness. And, and when you go look back on that, that show, would you have done it differently or did it go exactly how you hoped it would?
0: No, nothing ever goes, you know, this, yeah. nothing ever goes exactly right. I wish it could be me now because I've been doing something for a few years. Of course, I'm better at it. I'm just now it's more natural, right? I was questioning my voice and I was questioning everything. Like, am I sweating? You know, just the whole thing but I wouldn't do it any other way. No. Cause I'm so proud of me. Like I look back at that, or I see people send me notes. You're way better now than you were on your yeah. Gary V interview. And I'm like, thank you. Because I've been showing up, you know, I wasn't perfect at it. And it just makes me feel really proud. And it reminds me, which I didn't know when I got fired, I can reinvent myself and get better at different things that I never even knew I would have a talent in. And that's just mm. really exciting to know.
1: It is so empowering that that was you know you swung for the fences and made it happen. I hope that everyone listening dreams a little bit bigger, whether they're about to start whatever it is. I hope that they absolutely swing for the fence. Because listen, your life wouldn't have been overhead. He said no, your life wouldn't have been overhead. It not worked out, but holy shit, what if it does? And in your case, it did. And then not only was that you know he on your show, but then right there, you're able to flip the script on him. I'm so curious because here's my fear. My fear is like if I ask someone while they're interviewing me, you know, hey, wait, can I be on your show? And and they would say yes, but then we would we would be done with the show and they'd be like, you son of a bitch, you trapped me. You know what I mean? Like, what was his response when you were bold enough to ask to be on his?
0: He was like, good for you when we got up. He's like, good for you doing that. He's like, no one ever does that. He was like high-fiving. I mean, he's so back-to-back. He had to leave right after, he had a meeting right after. But like for the 60 seconds I was with him after, he was like, good on you. He's like, that was a really smart thing to do.
1: I'm so glad that you shared that because there's a hundred million people like me out there that are just too afraid to ask in that moment for what you truly want. And, and some people may be shocked to hear that, but it really is a, a significant weakness of mine. So when I hear those stories, and when they pan out well like that, it's empowering to start taking some swings and asking for, for what you want.
0: Oh my gosh. So I'll give you another one. This is crazy. I've been showing up on LinkedIn religiously for, and this is per Gary. Actually, Gary challenged me to lean in far more to LinkedIn and it's paid off huge. Everyone listening right now, if you aren't showing up on LinkedIn, that is where business gets done. You can grow your audience faster than any other platform out there organically. You don't pay for it. It's unreal. Anyhow. So I've been showing up for a long time there. I end up getting invited by LinkedIn. They're investing in content creators now. And so they have teams and managers and I got picked to be on a team. And so I have a manager now on LinkedIn that gives me tips and tricks to get better. Like they're helping you. We want to get you monetized. They want you to you know show up more. So I met with my manager a couple of weeks ago and he said, how can I help today? I said, find a way to get me featured for your international women's day or women's month. I want Heather Monahan feature in front of your 400 million audience." And he's like, you don't want to go bigger than that? <laughs> I thought this was like a big ass, yeah. right? T- to your point, I'm like, I thought I was coming in ballsy. And I said, what does bigger look like? And he's like, you don't know that we're running commercials now, like on the Super Bowl with billions of people. And we, me, who gets to be featured on the TV commercial? Oh, my. And I said, and I'm like, no, I didn't know that. He said, that's bigger, Heather. And I said, Okay, my friends, let's throw Heather Monahan's name in the hat for the next one. And why don't we do one on single working parents? And that could be the angle that we take why we're featuring me and you could feature some other single working parents and how it looks differently. And and he's like, he was taking notes. He's like, all right, I'm gonna bring it up in our next meeting. Now, I haven't got the commercial yet. But the fact that that man opened my mind to I think I go big, There's still bigger out there.
1: God, you are so inspiring. By the way, not only are you inspired, but you keep sharing these really brilliant tips of things that most of us don't know, like the fact that if you show up enough on LinkedIn, that you can get a LinkedIn manager, right, and then it opens new doors for you, or things like putting a Google alert on Gary's alert. name so that you can find. You a need way a to Google alert
0: on you, by the way. Like, if, and for everyone listening, take a Google alert out on yourself. You want to be the first one to know when something's going on with you, not the last. And people will say, oh, that's narcissistic. No, it's incredible. The things that I found out that are being said about me or where I'm being featured. I was named top 50 speaker of the year for 2022. I had no idea. If I didn't have that Google alert, I wouldn't have been able to brand myself, promote myself and thank the people that gave it to me. That's
1: crazy. Okay. I'm definitely doing this as we hang up. So lots of brilliance coming from you. Super appreciate it. And it's no wonder that you wrote your second selling book, Overcome Your Villain. And that's been an absolute smash hit. It came out in what, November?
0: In November of 2021. Yeah. All
1: right. So what is your favorite part, favorite lesson, favorite chapter in that book?
0: My favorite chapter probably is the last chapter in the book. It was so emotional for me when i record the audible version Mm -hmm. and i stole david goggins his book you can't hurt me i had listened to his audible and he riffs at the end of every chapter so i i stole his idea and basically redid that you know with mine and so it was so fun doing the book because when you do a book it's like a year and a half before i wrote the book and now i'm reading it a year and a half later so you have updates to like okay here's what i've learned since then and you know here's what's happening now But the final chapter of my book is about legacy and, you know, this greater idea that it's about the footprints in the sand that we leave, not necessarily about, you know, the grind in the moment and and how we can really not only appreciate that, but understand like that's what life is really about. And so this is so sad. My one of my mentors had passed away during COVID. He had been in the process of writing a book. He had cancer. And so it wasn't shocking that he passed. But of course, we just thought the book would come out something. And so for me, including him in my book was my way of allowing his legacy to continue. But then the realization I have when I riff at the end is like, I didn't even need to do that because his legacy already lives on in me. Like his legacy lives on on everybody he had touched. And all of us will carry that forward. It doesn't have to be concrete in writing. It's that special feeling and knowledge and care that you leave in other people.
1: I absolutely love that. By the way, you mentioned it's on Audible, right? Yes. Okay, so Audible, iTunes, like listening to a book has become my preferred method as opposed to reading a book. I feel like I get through a lot more books and I'm a big fan of helping other people read, aka listen to books more. So spur the moment, you have no idea I'm gonna do this, but when you said that, it made me think, I want to reward the next 50 people that download your book, listen to a little bit of it, screenshot that they're listening to it and tag you and me on Instagram that they are listening to your book and what their favorite part is so far. The the first 50 people that do that, I will literally PayPal or Venmo them or the reimbursement for downloading that book. So when this comes out, to those of you listening, I want you to go to download Overcome Your Villains by Heather Monahan, tag her and I, with a proof that you are listening to it and share in that tag your favorite takeaway so far. And the first 50 of you, I'll I'll just PayPal, Venmo, whatever your preference is to reimburse that. Because I, I want to get oh more gosh. of these books in people's hands for sure.
0: Thank you so much for doing that. You're, no. I had no idea you were going to do that.
1: No, they're always spur of the moment things. I do these a lot, but they're always spur of the moment when someone mentions, oh, this on Audible or this for that. They're just kind of fun to pop into my mind and, and I always just kind of follow that. So my pleasure. But I want to ask about the book you share a lot of tips for dealing with or, or overcoming toxic environments. And here's the thing. Most people hear that and they think a toxic environment at work or a toxic environment you know, with a group of people. But you also explain the toxic environment can be you, like inside your head. Walk us through a few ways that we can clean up some of these toxic environments.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for, for asking that. It's a great question. So For me personally, firsthand, I had to clear out the villains around me before I ever even became aware that I was the ultimate villain in my life. I had spent so much time, Chris, I was working side by side. The CFO at the company I worked for hated me, right? Everyone kind of knew it, but I always thought I'll ignore her and focus on my path. You know, I'm killing it over here. You know, she can just be a jerk. The problem was, and I didn't know it at the time, we're actually teaching people how to treat us. So while I let her get away with bad behavior, other people were seeing her treat me badly. They started losing respect for me, right? There was this whole domino effect that went on. So suddenly I was consumed all the time with how do I keep this villain away from me? All the energy and thoughts and just my time, my mind was consumed with how do I survive the situation? How do I improve it? How do I get out of it? How do I change it? So any energy that I could have been putting towards, you know, bettering myself, I wasn't. It was all around how to survive with this nasty person in my space. She gave me the gift of firing me, and when she did that, I came home and I didn't have to worry anymore about her. Like I didn't have to sit around and say, "What am I going to do when she doesn't respond to this email? What am I going to do when she bad mouths me next?" I had to just sit and look in the mirror, and then I started asking myself, "How did I end up here? Where did I go wrong?" And I really sat down. And mapped out, like, I remember when things started, it was a slow, quiet change, right? It wasn't like this big moment. I didn't notice it because I kept saying, I'm just going to ignore it. You know, I'm not going to pay attention. My ignoring bad behavior, I started realizing it wasn't just with her. It was Mm -hmm. in personal relationship. But this was the first time I had this epiphany in my life. And I really sat with my thoughts and started going back in my journals and looking. And I saw patterns. I had never taken the time to really notice. And that was all about me. Not, I was calling these nasty people into my life, allowing them to stick around instead of showing up as the badass that I needed to be and firing these people from day one, trusting my gut and trusting my intuition. And that moment in time, that blessing she gave me allowed me to realize I'm in charge of this. I'm going to be the one that changes it.
1: You said something I want to make sure nobody glosses over. And that is we teach people how to treat us, not by what we say, By what we tolerate. Expand on that a tiny bit more because that is I learned that a long time ago. And I feel like when that lesson actually sinks in, everything in your life gets exponentially better.
0: Oh my gosh. This can be with kids. This can be with a boyfriend. This can be at work. This can be anywhere with your trainer, right? Like if you're showing up late for your trainer and then you keep doing, you keep doing it, and then it's later and late the guy's not gonna fire you. He's let it go this long, and you know you're getting away with it, right? Like we're creating these patterns and It's typically not with this big, bold moment. It's these little tiny things where I'm telling you, you're going to lose your phone if you come home late again and the kid comes home late and you don't take the phone. All of these things are just showing, ah, she's not good on her word. And for a long time, I was doing that at work and in my personal relationship. You know, hey, you made a commitment to you. You were going to be here for this event. You didn't show up. What's going on? Oh, I got busy at work. Okay, I understand. But then that turned into... Suddenly he doesn't show up for the next event or suddenly he says you're going to go on vacation, but now he's got to work instead. You're creating these tiny little patterns that turn into massive issues. But then it's sort of like that sunk cost fallacy, right? Mm -hmm. You're so far in it. You're like, do I walk away from this relationship at this point? I hate how he treats me. But there was all this good, and I'm the one that allowed for, right? You get in these really negative situations that you have to pull the plug on, and it's a lot more painful and tough than it than it has to be.
1: Explain sunk cost fallacy. This is another thing, but you just keep coming up with the hits, and I just want to make sure we keep shining a spotlight on these things. That's another thing that I think traps people into maintaining poor decisions. Explain that a little bit.
0: Sun cost fallacy hurt me. I was in a relationship for nine years and I truly was, I was living it, right? So sunk cost fallacy is really this idea that because you put so much time into something that it's not worth walking away from at that point, that maybe it's, even though it might not be ideal, even though there might be problems, you've invested yeah. so much, that is not real. Sun cost fallacy is never real. It's always the opposite, right? And here's a great example. I had a woman on my show this week She went to law school, she clerked, she passed the bar, she landed a job at a big firm. She finds herself very successful as a lawyer and she's miserable. Now, most people, and I know a lot of lawyers that are miserable and they're doing this. I can't walk away from it. I put too much in. I invested four years in law school. I did this. She had that moment and she did the opposite of sunk cost fallacy. She said, I'm two years into a career I don't like. I don't even know how much money in. I can't stay longer because next year I might not pull the plug. Now is the time to pull it. She pulled the plug. Everyone told her she was crazy. Another reason why people stay in these Mm -hmm. situations are afraid of the feedback they're going to get from the outside world. And she started a candle company. Everyone told her she was nuts. She moved into her purpose and passion and pulled the plug on sunk cost fallacy. Her business blew up and is doing incredibly well to this day. So that's exactly the same as me in the long-term relationship saying, oh my gosh, I put so many years into this. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at this point to walk away from someone like, there's, God, I should have more loyalty. You start convincing yeah. yourself. I've been here so long. This is the right thing to do. And it is never the right thing to do. When you get that gut feeling, it doesn't matter if it's one year or 10 years, listen to yourself and pull that plug.
1: God, it applies to so many aspects of life. That's such an important lesson. In the book, oh, by the way, the woman whose candle company exploded, give her a shout out. Who is it?
0: Oh my gosh. Annabelle DeGrazio and her candle company is called Taja Collections. They customize candles. They engrave the candles. You can write anything on it. It's it's so cool. That's
1: a cool gift. Oh, okay. I'm going to get those for my mastermind. What's the? I know you don't know website offhand, but how do you spell it?
0: T-A-J-A and it's tajacollection.com.
1: tajacollection.com. That's super cool. Okay. I love stories like that. In the book, you share a three-step back Process, right? As in taking three steps back, but it's B-A-K. And it basically helps you to evaluate your situation and, and identify what should I do next. Can you share those steps with us?
0: Yes. And I'll use the example of getting fired because it's relatable and I think you guys will totally get it. Okay. I got fired and when I walked out, my belief was I've lost everything. B the first step in the back process is beliefs. And it means basically distill and dial that belief that you hold in any challenging moment down to the most simplistic shred of fact that could be there, 90% of the time you'll find there's no fact to the belief you're holding. Okay, so my belief was I've lost everything. When we dial the belief down, I hadn't lost my health, hadn't lost my network, hadn't lost my business expertise or acumen, hadn't lost my experiences, hadn't lost really anything. The one thing I did lose, though, there was some fact I lost a paycheck. But once I distilled it to wait a minute, I've gotten paychecks from other places. This wasn't the first place I've worked. It made it much more possible to move forward. Step number two in the back process is take immediate action. I don't care if it's messy action. I don't care if it's small action. Imperfect action is fine. That will start the domino effect to give you momentum to springboard forward. So for me, I dialed the belief down. I took messy action. I put a post up that people told me I shouldn't put up. But I left that post up. That post, as I said, went viral, landed me on the Elvis Duran show, which is step three, knowledge. Be really intentional about the knowledge you're accessing, whether that be mentors, conversations, podcasts, books, podcasts like this one. You know, I landed myself on the Elvis Duran show. Someone who was light years ahead of where I was at the time. You want to be around people who have been where you want to go. And you want to ask those people for advice. Like I did with Elvis, he spoke that truth into me. You're writing a book, Heather. Because he was so confident, I jumped on it and I wrote my first book. And that's just like a really simple example of the back process.
1: And now here you are on your second bestselling book. It's such a cool story that it's panned out that way. Do you have another one in you? You can write another one one day?
0: I just started writing my new my third book last week. It's so bizarre.
1: Oh my God, that's awesome. Are you allowed to share what it's about yet? Yeah, it's okay if you're not.
0: No, I, mean, I didn't sign a deal with anyone. It's not like, it's just mine right now. So yeah, I'm happy to share I've gone through the weirdest situation in my life, like in the past, I'd say three or four months, and it goes beyond that. But, you know, last year at some point, someone was saying to me, you have really masculine energy, Heather. And I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Plus, right? I
1: would have never assumed that.
0: Well, because you and I are alike like this. but We just don't understand this whole world of like masculine, mm-hmm. feminine energy. I'd never even heard of stuff like that. Well, come to find out there's a whole world on this. And the woman was right. Masculine energy is all about do and take action and muscle your way. And I'm like a white knuckler my whole life because of how you mentioned I grew up. I thought everything had to be hard and I had to be the hardest worker. And because it paid off for me in many ways, I thought that's the way to do it. Feminine energy. And it's not about people be like, well, you're wearing pink. It's (laughs) not about that. Because people have said to me, you're so feminine. I see you in dresses. No, that has nothing to do with feminine energy feminine energy is about receiving. And I put my arms out like this. It's the why, like the, I'm open to allowing beautiful and abundant things to come to me. Not, I don't have to white knuckle all the time. I can white knuckle sometimes if I want, but I can also receive. For me, the pandemic was that moment to learn. I can't white knuckle right now. I couldn't get out of the house and go make, I could force things to happen when I can get out of my house. When I couldn't get out of the house, It was like, I didn't know what to do because I wasn't used to just being that receiver, like to say abundance, universe, God, whoever, I know that the answers will come to me. I know that this solution will, and I really started choking and suffering during that time. And so that was ultimately a gift too. So this new book will really be all about how I've learned to not only understand there's different energies out there and we all are comprised of them in some regard and how, you know, becoming aware of how can we become stronger, better, different by embracing those, but also just the energy out there that we're putting out. And when we are around negative people, we're harboring negative energy, which is going to bring more negative yeah. people to our, and negative situations to us. And I didn't really understand all these different things until I've made some different choices in the past few months. And really started opening myself up to that idea and asking for, and you know what? I'm actually, I'm going to read a quote right now from your, I joined your text program, which guys, this thing, if you have not signed up for this thing yet, it's freaking amazing. Yeah. And Chris, you're going to be in the book. There's going to be a chapter about you in the book. I'm, oh t- my I'm God. shouting out now, seriously, because so many people showed up for me and things happened for me and, and you're one of them. Me signing up for your text program really changed the way I thought about money. And here's what's weird. I didn't know I had an issue with it. I just signed up because I liked you on the show. And I'm like, yeah, I could learn something from him. He's a great guy. Here's what I learned. I had an issue with money that was stemming back to my childhood that I didn't realize I had. You said this one day, this was on February 14th, on Monday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Money comes to me from the most unexpected places. And for that reason, it can show up anytime. Money can always come out of anywhere. Maybe it's an investment. Maybe a relationship you've been nurturing. Maybe the work you've been doing finally showing up for you. It's time now to invest in yourself and it will come to you. That changed the way I saw my entrepreneurial journey. I previously had realized I thought it had to be a certain way. It has to be coming from just your speaking engagements. It has to just be coming from, I wasn't open to this idea. The minute I embraced this and I started reading it every single day with frequency, because frequency is what will sell, right? I started reading it with frequency and reading all of your other messages. It made me stop one day and realize my dad had started a business as an entrepreneur when I was 14, 15 years old and it failed. And I started realizing, I think I'm holding on to this idea that maybe I'm not as powerful as an mm. entrepreneur. So I had to start dealing with that whole issue that I didn't even know existed. But over the last, this is a month ago, I joined this program with you and I'm telling you, it has had major impacts. People have been showing up from past times in my life that I forgot about. Hey, Heather, wanted to see, do you want, I wanted to give you like commission on this crazy weird yes. thing thing works.
1: I'm telling you. So this is how nerdy Laurie and I get about that. On our walks, we do this, you know, power nine. I probably told you about it. And, and part of that is we have to manifest three things for the day. I would say, Six out of seven days, one of the things I manifest is I manifest surprise, unexpected, perfectly aligned financial windfalls, you know, landing in our laps and hitting our accounts today, tomorrow, and the rest of the week. And when I say it, I'm like, God, I said that yesterday. I said the day before I said it. but I'm telling you, and I also journal that all the time. It happens all the time. I wasn't going to share this, but it's relevant to what you're saying. Literally last night, I got a text. One buddy introduced me to another acquaintance, just somebody I know of, and said, hey, here's a... You know, I'm, I'm not going to give details, but here's an opportunity. I think you should, two should talk on it. I said, okay, great. So we talked today and in a five minute conversation, it turned into, we're going to get an extra 125 to 150 grand. And then this will probably turn into six figures a month worth of opportunity for the next couple of years. And it came out of nowhere, like completely unexpected thin air. I am such a firm believer that you have to expect unexpected windfalls and they'll start happening. Some small, some big, but it's crazy.
0: It's crazy. It works, though, and... And I'm so happy I can start teaching my 14-year-old this now so he doesn't have to wait till he's 47. Like, I waited till I was 47 to learn this. So I want everybody to know this is not, you know, woo-hoo, crazy talk. This legit works. I am living proof. Sign up for the text program.
1: Oh, my God. I love it. (laughs) Unexpected shout-out. I appreciate it. Well, I'm going to give you a shout-out right back. I want everybody to read this book, Overcome Your Villains. And like I mentioned earlier, the first 50 of you that download it on any form of Audible, right? Audible, iTunes, I don't care screenshot it, share your favorite takeaways so far and tag both Heather and I on Instagram with it. It could just be in stories, doesn't have to be a main feed. And the first 50 of you to do that, I will Venmo or PayPal you reimbursement for the book. That's how much I believe in people getting out and and literally overcoming their BS villains. So thank you so much for being on. Where can we follow you and where should we plug into you?
0: Okay, I'm at Heather Monahan everywhere. As I mentioned, LinkedIn is my jam. I'm like crazy aggressive on LinkedIn. My website's HeatherMonaghan.com and my podcast is Creating Confidence with Heather Monaghan. Check out the Chris Harder episode.
1: You have actually motivated me to take LinkedIn seriously again. I'm going to go clean up my profile a little bit and appoint somebody to start putting some content on that thing. I feel like I'm really missing out there.
0: Okay. Yeah. Whoever you're going to put in charge, have them reach out to me and I'll do a quick call with them and give them some inside tips.
1: That would be awesome. Thank you. Okay. So, last question for you, and then I'll let you go because I know your time is valuable. On our show, we always say when good people make good money, they can do great things. And it really is just saying that money will bring out this generous side of you when you have excess or when you have abundance. Now that you've gone from growing up in poverty to being a very successful businesswoman, what is one great thing, big or small, that you've been able to do for somebody else?
0: Oh my gosh! You know this with the work that you do. It's so weird. For so long, twenty something years, I was in corporate America. I made rich people richer, right? Because my job was to drive the share price of stock, and so I was literally making very wealthy people wealthier, which is that's nice. Okay, great, but it wasn't meaningful. When I went to work for myself and wrote my first book, and then I would start getting DMs from people. Oh my God, you came to my life at the right time. Do you know, because of you, I was able to quit my job. I was able to go for more. I finally asked for the promotion to see that you have lasting impact on the creations you put out there, whether it be a podcast episode, a speech or a book or whatever it is. I thought you always had to work during the day. And then at night you go do charity. I've been able to integrate doing work that benefits others and has a lasting impact in the world. That's positive and make money, like that's my ideal dream. I want that for everyone. Like whatever your purpose, your passion is, it can be painting, it doesn't matter, but like finding a way to integrate doing good in the world and creating wealth for yourself so that not only can you lead a good life, but you can become more abundant and impact more people. And that to me has been the biggest blessing, getting those little messages from people unexpected all the time. It's just, it propels me to go forward. And I was at spin class yesterday on top of a roof in the most beautiful place in Miami, and this woman came up to me and she said, Are you Heather? And I said, Yeah, I'm Heather. And she started crying, Chris. And she was like, You've changed my life. And it was the coolest thing, like that feeling. I hugged her. I don't know her, right? I just hugged her right away. And I was like, Let's take a picture together. I was so grateful. And she's like, You don't think I'm crazy? The funny thing is, people don't understand I'm nothing without a story like that. Like, that's why I'm here. And I know this is my purpose, my passion, and my mission. So I'm so grateful to her to share it with me, to be vulnerable and share it with me. And people don't understand the impact you can have on someone else just by sharing how you feel and, and how people impact you. That's
1: incredible. What a great story. Thanks for sharing it. And you're quickly becoming one of my favorite humans on the planet. So super excited to, to get to know you more. Everybody go out, download or buy Overcome Your Villains. You can get it at Amazon, right? And everywhere else. Oh, you can get, get it
0: everywhere. There. Yes.
1: And remember, the first 50 of you that tagged both of us on Instagram that you did, I'm going to reimburse you via via PayPal or Venmo. It's like my brain stopped working at the end of the podcast here. Heather, thank you so much for being on Means the World.
0: Chris, you're the best. Thank you.